As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 348. Hi, I'm Todd Henry, author of Herding Tigers, Be the Leader That Creative People Need. Hone your leadership skills with every listen. It's the Read to Lead podcast with my friend, Jeff Brown. Hey, once again, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. I'm Jeff Brown. This is the podcast. It's dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where we dig into topics like leadership, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, and entrepreneurship, among others. Leadership getting the focus this week as we again go back in time. Last week, it was about 100 or so years as we looked at leaders past. This week, in a similar vein, we go back several hundred years, and we'll check out leaders like Washington and Alexander the Great, among others, as we dive into a book called Time to Lead, Lessons for Leaders from Bold Decisions that Changed History. And the author of that book and several others is Jan Benedict Steenkamp. I'll be asking Jan Benedict to share some of the seven leadership styles that his research has uncovered, the decisions that went into highlighting the leaders that are featured in his book, how the study of history and leaders past has impacted his own career, and much more. Hey, if you'd like to stay up to date on the progress of my upcoming book and score yourself a great free resource, my list of the 12 top leadership and personal growth books as recommended by past guests here on the show, just go to my website, readtoleadpodcast.com. And in the form on the upper right-hand side of the page, just enter your name and email address. I'll send that to you and keep you up to date on my book's progress going forward. It's set to release, by the way, on August 31st of 2021. Jan Benedict Steenkamp is the Senox Massey Distinguished Professor of Marketing at the University of North Carolina's Keenan Flagler Business School. He's an honorary professor at the European Institute for Advanced Studies and Management, fellow of the European Marketing Academy, chairman of the International Board of Experts at the Institute for National Branding, and fellow at the Institute for Sustainable Growth at Fudan University in Shanghai. He's also the author of several previous books, many of which have won or been nominated for various awards. He is here today to share what today's leaders can learn from the bold decisions of leaders past. Again, the name of his new book is called Time to Lead, Lessons for Today's Leaders from Bold Decisions that Changed History. Jan Benedict, so glad to have you. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Well, it's wonderful. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. 
I have to admit that the first time I saw the cover of your book and the title Time to Lead, I did a double take, uh, mainly because I'm working on a book of my own right now called Read to Lead, named after the podcast. And for a brief second, I thought your book was called Read to Lead. I thought, wait, what? <laughs> so I was, I was relieved that it wasn't, but uh, nonetheless. Well, I wasn't preempting you. <laughs> not preempting me. But uh, I, I'm a fan of, of, of history. Uh, American history in particular, but really appreciated the uh, level of research you've done in looking at leaders over uh, the span of the last several hundred years and helping showcase for us what we can learn from them and what's still relevant today. Right away, as I read the foreword of your book written by Major General Cameron G. Holt, I wanted to find out what your initial reaction was as you're reading the foreword, maybe for the first time, where he writes, the majority of leadership books should be placed gently in the trash can where they belong. What was your reaction to that? To be honest, I agreed. Um, the reason is, and I think that actually, it's also very much, I think the reason why General Holt was mentioning this is that uh, many leadership books are essentially saying, you have to be like this. Say so you have to be a servant leader or you have to be like uh, something like that. And otherwise you're not going to succeed. Mm. So that essentially they are very, prescriptive but they're also very controlling if you are not like that oh my god you know you're gonna end up in failure and uh, general holtz clearly doesn't believe it and he's a practitioner of, of leadership mm. and as i show in my book it is simply not true the only thing the only thing jeff where you will never succeed is if you try to be a leader that you are not now, of course, you can also be a very evil guy, but we're not talking about those kind of leaders. But if you try to be a person that you are not, it's not going to work. You are a particular person and you have to select the leadership style or styles that, that work with you. And that's what General Holt also mentioning. He said, you know, okay, you assess what kind of person you are and you try to improve upon those qualities. Mm. Talk a bit, Jan Benedict, about your work as a marketing professor and, and how you use that knowledge to help in the book deepen our understanding of leadership. So the, there is a lot of overlap between leadership and marketing. So I've been the practitioner of leadership in a lot of different jobs in academia, in organizations, leading and um, a foundation uh, with mm -hmm. business, but I'm also a marketing professor. So that's my academic, say, home. But there is a lot of overlap because if you look at it at the, at the core of the situation, leadership is about getting other people, say your followers, if you will. Mm -hmm. It can be the American population. It can be the people in your organization or your congregation to do what you want. And that doesn't mean it is not only that you tell them what you want, you have to understand it, but ultimately you have to move people into a particular direction that you envisage. Now, marketing is, at the end of it, you listen to the consumer very carefully, but it is to try to get the consumer or your customer essentially to move into the direction that you would like. So a lot of marketing principles and a lot of leadership principles, they overlap. And in the book, what I'm doing at, at relevant points, I introduce marketing principles to understand better why a particular leader had been so successful. Mm, that, that was intriguing to me. How, how has the, uh, maybe the consistent habit of studying history, would you say, impacted your, your work and your career? I could not have been successful in my academic work without me having studied history because I, mm -hmm. I have been a student of history long before I was interested in marketing. And it learned me to relate things that can be very different in time and space 
in, in, in gender, in anything, to relate them to each other. So in marketing, I think if I have a strength in marketing, it is the ability to take a lot of material, seems to be all kind of very loose, not related, and to see the connections between them and to craft a theory around that, uh, an all practical model, and that is not only purely ivory tower. In my consulting work, Actually, that is, the, uh, that is the reason why I've been successful as a consultant because the, the managers often have far more information than I have. But they may not mm. always see how these things are related to each other. And history helps me. So therefore, as, as being a marketing academic, history also helps me in terms of having been a leader in different organizations. And, and related to that, share a bit about the goal of writing the book, this, this desire you had to sort of illustrate leadership through the actual lives of great leaders and, and connect it to uh, today. It was a long process, but my say my fascination has always been with history. I'm a marketing professor, but history has always captured my fascination from when I was a pre-teenager. It's a bit strange, perhaps, but as a pre-teenager, I read books on FDR, on Alexander the Great, etc., whereas other people were listening to, uh, you know, to rock music. And I'm not arguing that, that, that I had a better time, but I, I liked that. So I had that passion and... At one point, I heard something. I was listening to the great courses while being on a spinning cycle. Those are history things. And a professor said there, you know, I, you know how to do things. You know, we, we can be inspired by these great people, which his course was about. And then I kind of thought, it just made me think, actually, when it comes to leadership, there is a lot of it is... Is, is, I see it actually a bit, perhaps a little bit of fluff, you know, well, I so agree with General Holt. Mm-hmm. Can I actually link these things? And then I kind of thought, okay, I can write a biography on a particular person, but that is, you know, 500,000 pages long. This is, that is great. Uh, I've read many of those, but it may be a little bit too long for most people. Why do I not focus on one particular particular really major thing one particular dilemma that that leader was facing and how we overcame uh, how he or she overcame it the point is there is then you can narrow it down a little bit otherwise the book would explode in terms of length (laughs) so i got that idea and then i just started to take my notepad and fortune based on my historical knowledge in two hours I came up with a number of different kind of seminal decisions. Now, then, of course, I don't have enough. I threw out a lot. It didn't really work or there were too much overlapping, etc. But then I started to work with it. Then I tested my ideas on LinkedIn. So I wrote a lot of short posts on LinkedIn, very short Mm. posts, just a little bit. And I got comments of people. I also saw some resonated more than others. So I took that information and and then I said, okay, let's get started. And that's how it came about. Mm. Talk about the, 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 a bit about the seven leadership styles that, that you revisit throughout the book. You don't necessarily have to go into detail on in all of them, but what role do these styles then play in play and how you laid out the book and, and wrote it? Well, these styles, leadership styles is a, is a big topic in, mm. in the leadership literature. But usually people try to sell one style. Because that's actually how they make money. As a guru, you know, there are people that say, you know, charismatic leadership is everything. Or people that say servant leadership is very popular now. Uh, Other people are, you know, talking about, you know, disruption as being crucial. Now, all of that is true, but 
we know many people that are not charismatic or that are not servant leaders who have been very impactful. So what I did more is I took a systematic review of the literature of my uh, my own experiences talking with managers and military officers uh, about a number of things so i i gradually got this picture of seven leadership styles which cover actually a lot of what is going on and then what i did is i selected examples that would be a good illustration of each of these leadership styles now in practice you know humans are complex people can have a combination of leadership styles but it doesn't mean that you cannot learn from these individual uh, ones which actually is the case mm. so this is how these leadership styles they provided the structure to my book because essentially it is my view that any leader will find themselves in one or more of these leadership styles. It, it would be, I, I think there would be very few people that would look at these leadership styles and would kind of think, well, my leadership style you know, fits really nowhere. That, that would, I don't think there will be many people there. So, for example, one of the leaders in, in the book is, is the, the great uh, Prime Minister, uh, Margaret Thatcher. Now, Thatcher had many qualities, but say servant leadership, for example, requires a certain degree of humility. Now, I don't think uh, Margaret Thatcher could be a servant leader if she wanted it. Now, I doubt whether she wanted it, but she, w- but she could not. She could not be a servant leader, for example. So what you have is that people, I think, as they grow in their leadership, they will make more nuances. But for example, one person a very senior manager in a large company, he told me, because he, he, he did some tests, etc., that are in the book and so on, and he said, well, it turns out to be that I am not a disruptive leader. And he said, that is actually correct. I'm not a disruptive leader. I'm not a conceptual thinker. I'm not actually the person that really wants to disrupt things, but mm-hmm. I'm very effective in essentially being directive, giving essentially direction to my followers and he had many of them he was responsible for huge organization but i'm not a disruptor no, that's fine i mean that, so that, that not everybody and you know tim cook is not really a disruptor mm. steve jobs was a disruptor tim cook is also very successful so there are many ways to roam and that is why this book i think offers insights for all kinds of leaders because there is not one one road to heaven only <laughs> and that's what gurus tell you And that, I understand it. It's the way how to quickly make money. To tell, essentially, there is only one way, and that is my way. So, you know, join me. And I don't believe in that. Uh, Mm. General Holt doesn't believe in that. When he wrote the foreword, I read it. I mean, I got goosebumps because, you know, you don't tell a general what to write. (laughs) Uh, uh, So he could have written something. goes, oh, my God, this is terrible. Or I really don't agree with it. Okay, what what are you going to do there? So I was happy with this forward, which um, you take input from nobody if, if you are in the Pentagon and in the, you know, one of the highest officials in the U.S. Air Force. Mm. Well, let's uh, jump for a second to the appendices. Uh, what are some of the tools, some of the useful tools that uh, the reader is going to find uh, uh, when, we, when they go there? Here, there is the advantage of, let's say, my scientific work mm-hmm. as a marketing professor is very much into scale development. The, the scientific term is psychometrics, the mathematical analysis and development of, let's say, self-assessment instruments. I use that knowledge 
to develop these scales. And one of the scales is grit. Mm. Uh, I identify that as a, as a manager to be really successful as a leader, to be really impactful, you need to have grit. So I have a grit test there that people can take. Grit consists of four components, focus, self-confidence, motivation to succeed, and resilience. You just score yourself and you will get some interesting scores. Mm. I, the funny thing here, so this is the first thing. Funny thing is I did it myself. Mm-hmm. And I actually scored really high on three of the four and not on the fourth one. And it made me think, actually, I kind of thought, actually, I don't like it. <laughs> and how can I work on that? Mm. A second set of skills is that regardless of the leadership style that you use, you have to address essentially as, as a leader, as a person, actually, in your career, two basic questions. That is, Where am I going? What is my overarching goal for my career or for my current leadership situation, but also for your, for your career? And how do I get there? It's essentially ends versus means. Mm-hmm. I can have glorious ends, vision, goal. I may not have the means or I may not understand how to use the means or it can actually be the other way around. Now, that gives two, four combinations, very briefly, animal metaphors, And there is a scale in there. That's, that scale is also available online. Countless people have already taken at that scale. Based on answers, identifies which of the four animal metaphors you kind of resemble the most. And based on that score, what could you do? You know, because, okay, you, you are a particular person, but how could you, let's say, uh, you know, improve a little bit by turning to specific examples in the book? Okay, you know, Look at this person. What did he do? What, what did that woman do? And so on. And the third set of skills is for you to assess essentially your own leadership style across all these seven leaderships. And you can ju- assess your own leadership style. You might also want to assess, what do I aspire? Because I may be X, but perhaps I aspire Y. And I give detailed directions based on... Your scores that you do in the, you know, in the confidentiality of your own office, very clearly, if you score this or that, go here or there. And then based on input from military officers, I included also an option for a 360 degree. That was initially, to be honest, not in, uh, in my ideas, but I had it tested with a lot of people and uh, especially uh, military officers came back and said, actually, I think this is useful to add that. So this is in the appendices, that is not the running text, but that allows you to put everything that I have been writing here in action for you and what to do next based on your responses. Mm, and I, I appreciated that and took uh, so far one of the quizzes, for lack of a better word, myself. I'm curious to know if you're willing to share which of the four animal metaphors uh, are you? Yes, I, I turned out to be an eagle. Now, I, by the way, I was actually, it only works if you answer it very honestly. Mm. Um, and the funny thing is, in the last couple of months, after I've done the test myself, I've thought a little bit more carefully about my life and about the number of things that I had been doing. And it gave me a lot more self-understanding, which is kind of bizarre because I wrote it myself. <laughs> But very briefly, when I was about 15 or something like that, I already knew the goal in my life. And that goal gradually increased over time, like as described also with Alexander the Great, because you learn also along the way. I mean, it is not that at 15, you know everything, but essentially it has been 
very path directed mm. my, my whole career. And I, I have exhibited a lot of flexibility in, in achieving that goal. But of the two, I am a little bit more in the, in the hedgehog fashion than in the fox fashion. But I, I turned out to be an eagle. <laughs> when I took it, I wanted to be an eagle based on your description. That's what I wanted to be. But it turns out I'm a hedgehog. <laughs> the good thing is, Jeff, most gurus are hedgehogs. And a lot of the very impactful leaders are also hedgehogs. Mm. So let's put it as follows. What, the, what these instruments help you is better self-assessment. It says nothing about your personal happiness. Mm. That is that if you're successful in your career or... Any of these kind of things doesn't mean that you're happy. That is a different matter. That is not my area of expertise. <laughs> I know I would not be happy if I would, if, if I would not have had some career success as well. <laughs> well, I've got a couple of questions for you, Jan Benedict, not directly related to the book that I want to squeeze in here in the time we have left. Before I do that, though, anything else from the book you want to make sure that we know or walk away with? Um, perhaps one thing that I would like to highlight is that The Economist wrote uh, recently an insightful article called History Lessons, and it concluded that corporate leaders should read more history books, mm. essentially. And it says that it, it, uh, it argues that surely those historical leaders that pass through the fire have something to teach modern day corporate managers. So the economist is among the most, let's say, prestigious sources when it comes to thoughtful business. And that article came out when I was working on the book. And that was actually a great, uh, for me, uh, you know, a lot of encouragement because the blessing of the economist, I think is is quite meaningful. Well, you mentioned a a couple of uh, books that were favorites of yours throughout your life and career or your love for reading in general. I'd be curious to know, what are one or two maybe that you revisit again and again, a couple of books that have really impacted your work and the prism through which you view life? So for me personally, uh, by far the most important book uh, is the Bible. Mm. And so I do not revisit it time and again. I revisit it every day. Uh, Although there are a lot of leadership lessons in the Bible as well, but that has been a very important uh, book to me. Another book, which is a history book, which has impacted my thinking a lot, is The Rise and Fall of the Great Powers Mm. by Professor Paul Kennedy. It's, it's now already over 30 years old, but those kind of books do not quickly get outdated, except for the last chapter, I would say. Because mm. one of the strengths there is how to link the different elements together of things that are going on in history. And um, a third book that I have learned a lot from, especially when it comes to military strategy, is JFC Fuller's book of the campaigns of Alexander the Great. So what Fuller there does is essentially not, not only the battles, but the logistics, the everything going on there. And when it comes to a combination of strategy and tactics, you know, Alexander is, is unsurpassed. And so you learn a lot from the strategy and tactics of, of Alexander the Great. So these are just several books that have been meaningful. I could mention more, you know, mm. I do read a lot of books. So many of them are uh, very meaningful. Mm. Well, I know 2020 hasn't necessarily turned out the way any of us thought that it would. I'd love to ask, as you look forward uh, to the rest of this year and on into 2021, what's, what's ahead for you that you and your team are excited about and that you're uh, able, to, able to share? What I'm looking forward to is 
I'm working on a number of, of, of many cases that can be used together with the book in um, executive settings. Um, mm. I've already written now five, actually, one person has written two and a major in the U.S. Air Force has written one and I've written two and I have to do a little bit more. So this this is something that I'm very interested in to, to develop some, if you will, teaching material that can be used together with the book. And the real thing that I'm looking forward for in 2021 is to be able to travel again. I have not mm-hmm. been to an airport since early February and it has never been it has never been so long that I've been grounded here in Chapel Hill. And however nice North Carolina is, I really would like to go somewhere else. <laughs> I know that feeling exactly. It's also been since uh, about mid-February since I've been on a plane as well. <laughs> well, the book again is called Time to Lead, Lessons for Today's Leaders from Bold Decisions that Changed History. His name is Jean Benedict Steenkamp, and uh, he's an amazing author. He's written five or six books now. I encourage you to check them out. Uh, Jan Benedict, thank you so much for being a part of the Read to Lead podcast. Thank you for having me. It was my honor, and you have a wonderful week. If you'd like to connect with Jan Benedict on social media or follow up on any of those books he recommended or any of the other resources or links we talked about, visit the show notes page for this episode. That's found at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 348. I'd love to get your feedback on this episode or any other episodes you'd like to share your thoughts on. You can write me directly, jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. Remember to keep up on the progress of my new book and to score yourself a copy of my 12 best leadership and personal growth books, all your own. Just visit my website and fill out the form with your first name and email address at the top right of the page. The address is readtoleadpodcast.com. In the next few weeks, we'll be welcoming back Todd Henry for his third or maybe fourth visit. I've lost track now. Also, Alex Kantrowitz, who's written a great book called Always Day One. We'll chat with Roman Mars, Jonathan Milligan, prolific author Brian Tracy to finish out the year, Robert Rosenberg, who led Dunkin' Donuts for 35 years. And next week, we talk with Shelley Archambault as we dig into her book, Unapologetically Ambitious. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read.